Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks for being with us this afternoon. My name's John, and I'm one of the pastors here at River Glen. This last weekend, it was a very special weekend for River Glen. We reached the halfway point in Unfinished, and Unfinished is the largest initiative that we've ever, ever undertaken in the history of River Glen. So if you missed last weekend, in the seat back in front of you is this Unfinished card. Go ahead and pull that out, and as you look it over, I want you to open it up, and I want you to look where it says, I am new to the Unfinished initiative, because for some of us, you weren't around a year ago when we started Unfinished, and I want to encourage you to join us, join us with Unfinished, and jump in. And so what I'd like you to do, if that's you, just that top box, just check that right there that says, I'm new to Unfinished, and then write in your 12-month commitment. Now, what that would be, that would be the amount of money that you're already giving. It's the amount of money that you already plan on giving, plus any increase that you'd like to contribute to Unfinished. And then for the rest of us, we're already committed to Unfinished. And so then right here, there's a, a spot that says, I'm already committed to the Unfinished Initiative. And in this line, what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to write in the amount that you pledged to Unfinished. And then there's two boxes underneath that. And, and the first box is, it, it says, at the halfway point of Unfinished, I would like to confirm my Unfinished commitment and I want to finish strong. And now for others of you, there's another box. And maybe over this last year, you've had some changes in finances. Maybe you've gotten a raise. Maybe you've gotten some bonuses. And so you just want to raise your original commitment. And so you can just check that box where it says, increase my two-year commitment. And then others of you, you're in that same category, but for you, it's a little bit different. You've had a change in your faith. As we've gone through Unfinished, as you've listened to what we're planning on doing, and, and as God's been working you on your heart, you just feel that you're in a place where you would like to give more. And so what we'd like you to do is just take that initial pledge that you made, write in the new amount, and then just check that I am increasing my two-year two Unfinished commitment. And then later in the service, just tear that off, Drop it in the offering when the bags go by. Because next weekend, here's what we're going to do with that. We're going to take all the results of the unfinished commitments that we got last weekend, that we get this weekend. And now that we're at this halfway point, and if you remember, last December, December 1st, we kicked off um, unfinished with our first offering. So this is going to be the anniversary offering to that. And just like we did when we started last year, we're going to encourage and challenge everyone to take a big step in fulfilling our unfinished commitment. And for many of you, you're sacrificing stored resources or savings. So what we would like to do is next weekend is to encourage you to give on that day. And for others, you might be thinking that this is a really good time for you to accelerate your current giving more than usual on that day so we can move forward into the next phase of Unfinished, which is focusing on starting our next campus. So I just want to thank all of you for being a significant part of this. And that brings us to where we are this afternoon. We are at Thanksgiving weekend. Can you believe it? Who, who, had, a, who had a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, right? We can cheer for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. It has got all the food. It has got all the football. It has got all the friends. It has all the family. And it has none of the stress of wondering if you purchase the right gifts for everyone else. You can start worrying about that now. But for Thursday, 
You didn't need to. But for me, growing up, Thanksgiving was always one of my favorite holidays for a couple of, for a lot of reasons. First of all, if you're a kid, it's a shortened school week, and so you get out of school and you get this nice long weekend. But Thanksgiving was always at our house. My mom and dad always hosted our house. They both have a lot of brothers and sisters. And so we would always have a house full of people on Thanksgiving. There could be 20, 30, 40 people. It just all depended about who was, who was going to be around that weekend. And so the cool thing about having Thanksgiving at your house with that many people is my mom would wake up super early in the morning. And for the first 18 years of my life, I woke up to the smell of turkey roasting in the oven every single Thanksgiving. And so I have nothing but great memories associated with Thanksgiving. But when Thanksgiving rolls around, we kind of start to think about where did the year go? Because the stores, they pretty much in October, they flipped over to Christmas. There's some radio stations. They've been playing Christmas music 24-7 since the first week in November. And kids are already wondering what they're going to find under the Christmas tree. And moms and dads, we're wondering how we're going to pay for all of that. And so it's what happens is Thanksgiving has basically become a preseason holiday for Christmas. Just like the NFL has a preseason, right? They have the preseason games, then they have the regular games. Thanksgiving is like this preseason holiday for Christmas. And that's kind of a bummer that Thanksgiving becomes this preseason holiday because giving thanks is one of the things that separates us from the animals. To be, to be given a gift and to be able to say thank you, to be able to say thank you, it's one of the worthiest things that we can do because there's nothing small about saying thank you. To say thank you, it's to acknowledge that we've been given something that we didn't earn. So do you feel like this? Did I paint that picture? Does Thanksgiving almost feel like it's become Black Friday Eve? Hasn't Thanksgiving just really all become about the battle for Christmas. Think about those crazy videos. They show them every year. They showed them yesterday. They're showing them this morning. It's people brawling for the silliest gifts. And they're in these malls and they're being arrested and they're fighting for these gifts. And so in the rush to Christmas, does the danger of Thanksgiving just pass by without us taking time to reflect and what we're truly thankful for. And I'm not talking about the, the prayer that we say before we eat 4,500 calories or, you know, enough calories for several days. I, I mean, myself and you, do we take time to slow down and really reflect on what we're thankful for? It's been said that happy is the person who understands that all of life is a gift from God and life itself is the ultimate gift. That's why Paul wrote this in the book of Thessalonians. He said, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And we, when we can't do anything else, we can always be grateful. If you can't be thankful for what you've received, you can be thankful for what you've escaped. And, and so on this Thanksgiving weekend, what I want to do is I want to take a look at Psalm 131. And as most of you know, David is the king of Israel. David slayed Goliath. But David was also a musician and a poet. And if you ever work your way through the book of Psalms, one of the things that you'll notice is that David has written almost half of those Psalms. And Psalm 131, it's a part of a group of Psalms, and they're called the Pilgrim Songs. How's that for a tie-in, right? 
the pilgrim songs. This group of psalms were traditionally sung on the three required, on one of the three required pilgrimages into Jerusalem. And so there's 15 of these psalms. They're grouped together. They're all relatively short. They're the exact kind of songs that you would expect people to sing as they were marching along. These pilgrim songs, just like the songs that we sing, they're designed to prepare our hearts for worship. And so if you've worked your way through the book of Psalms, it's possible that you might not have ever noticed Psalm 131. It only has three verses, but it's really deep with meaning. Charles Spurgeon is a 19th century theologian, and he said this. He said, Psalm 131 is the shortest to read, but it's one of the longest to learn. And so there's three verses in Psalm 131, and each verse reveals an important quality for us to reflect on this Thanksgiving weekend. So I want to take a look at these verses. And David starts out and says, My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. And and so the psalm begins with these words. It says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. Now, Now, how many of you start your prayers out like this? Probably not many because it sounds weird to us because who talks like this? And then when we look at that sentence, it's almost as if David is bragging about how humble he is. He's bragging about his humility. And when we talk about humility, it's always tricky because how do you know if you're truly humble? And if you are truly humble, are you even going to know it? See, humility is this virtue when once we think we have it, we lost it. It's like this old story. There's this man, and he's gone attending church. He's gone there for years and years, and he's just this most humble servant. He's caring. He'll do anything that's asked for him. He does more than that's asked for him. And so they recognize this man, and they decided to award him the humblest man award. And so what they did is they had a gold pin made, and they put a little diamond in it, and they presented it to him for being the most humble man. Well, he came back to church next Sunday, and he was wearing that pin, And they immediately took it away from him for being so proudful. Prideful. So David says, my heart is not proud. And it's important to know here that the word proud is actually the Hebrew word for high. So in the Old Testament, that word was used to describe high mountains or high trees or was used to say King Saul was higher than anybody else. He was taller than anyone else in Israel. It's also used to refer to God, God who sits on high or God whose ways are higher than the ways and the thoughts of man. And we use this word in this context when we say things like, get off your high high horse, or, or we say things like, oh, look at Mr. High and Mighty, or we talk about living high on the hog. And, and the, ad, the idea there is it's this idea of being exalted. And David starts out, and he's saying, no, I'm the opposite. I don't, I'm not high. David's the opposite of that. And today in our world, in the 21st century, let's just, let's just face it. We live in a culture that puts a very low value on humility, 
There aren't awards given for being humble. From the moment we enter the world, we're encouraged to get ahead, to climb the ladder, to look out for number one, to succeed at any and all cost by whatever the means necessary. And then once we've reached this pinnacle of success, we prove our success by the cars we drive, by the homes we live in, by the clothes we wear, and by the people we surround ourselves with. We're raised to achieve and then to achieve a little bit more. And I'm sure we've all seen the T-shirt. Every now and then you'll see someone wearing a T-shirt and it says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah, dead people don't play with toys though. David goes on to describe humility in terms of how he looks at his own limitations. He says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. The Living Bible says it this way. David's saying, I don't pretend to be a know-it-all. So what David is saying is, David is saying there are many things in the universe and the world that are far beyond my limited ability to understand, and so I don't worry about those things, and I don't try to figure them out. And so humility in this context means that you don't run the world, you don't have all the answers. You know your limits. And, and that last one, it, this is higher. This idea that we have limits and limitations, that's hard for some people. But David is saying, happy is the man who knows his limits, lives within those limits, and does the very best he can. Now, verse 2 brings us a second quality that's good to reflect upon this Thanksgiving w- weekend. And it's this, it's this concept of simplicity. David says, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. So what is David saying here? Because what David is really doing, he's painting a picture that truly only mothers can really fully understand. Because when a baby's born, for a long time, the baby looks to his mother for his source of nourishment. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they all come from mom. The baby's sleeping, the baby cries, the baby wakes up. Mom gets the baby, takes care of the baby, meets the baby's needs. The baby becomes content. The baby falls asleep. And then the baby is taken care of. But then the day comes when the baby has to learn to take a bottle. And your mom, the moms here, you can tell us that is not a very happy day for the baby at all because the baby cries and tears roll down his face and his arms are reaching out to mom and she's gently pushing him away and he fights and he pouts and he screams and he wonders, what happened to mom? She used to be my friend and now she's my enemy. And then when the bottle's empty and when the tears have stopped, when the baby learns to eat with his brothers and sisters, Then the child comes and he rests on his mother's lap, not in order to be fed, but because he loves her. He comes because he wants to be near her. And unless a mother weans a child, that child never grows up and it might seem hard and it's difficult to go through. The baby doesn't understand what mom is doing, but if mom truly loves the child, she doesn't stop until the job is done. And then when the job is fully done, the child no longer begs for what he couldn't do without. At one time, he couldn't live without his mother's milk, and now he no longer needs it. So to be weaned is to have something removed from your life which you thought you couldn't do without. David is saying, I've come to the place where the things I thought I had to have, I don't need anymore. Now my soul is quiet and content. 
Simplicity. But again, society, society teaches us the opposite. They want us to live on the opposite principle because we figure our contentment based on how many of our wants and needs are met. And unfortunately, it's hard to reach a place where all of our wants and all of our needs are going to constantly be met because by that standard, we're never going to be content. If contentment was measured by how much of the world's goods you possess, who would ever say, I have enough? J. Paul Getty, at the time, he was the richest man in America, and a reporter went up to him, and they asked him, they said, how much money is enough? And J. Paul Getty famously replied, a little bit more. And that's the way most of us figure contentment. In our hearts and minds, we think, I would only be happier if I had a new car or a new bike or a new home or a new husband or a new wife if I just had a little bit more. But since life doesn't work like that, we stay frustrated when we should be happy. And so it's no wonder that Thanksgiving flies by. It's no wonder that Christmas can be stressful. It's no wonder why we're never satisfied because instead of being weaned from the world, we're wedded to the world. You could even say we're welded to the world and our soul is anything but quiet and our attitudes and our hearts, they can be anything but peaceful. This last year, Kelly and I, my wife, we, uh, we, we learned a little bit about simplifying our lives and we learned a little about simplicity. As part of our unfinished commitment, what we decided to do, and this was not an easy decision to make, but what we decided to do is we decided we were going to downsize, we were going to sell our house, and we were going to um, move into a condo. And so we had this great house. It's in the town of Waukesha. It's an acre lot. We lived there for 22 years. We raised our boys, Ian and Nathan, there. And we just had just great memories of that house. But as we were struggling with this idea, we just kind of walked through the house. And I remember standing over in the dining room. And, and up against the wall, there was this buffet and this china cabinet. And there was this crystal. And there was this, this china set. And then an additional set of silverware. And I thought about all the happy times and memories we had there. And then it occurred to me that now we use this room maybe once, maybe twice a year. And I couldn't even remember the last time we used it. And then I went down into the lower level. In the lower level, we had this den. This den had this great natural fireplace. And we loved it down there. We would do, you know, we would do family game night. In the winter, we would just, the four of us, we would just move down there all weekend. We'd have a roaring blaze all weekend long. We'd watch movies. We'd hang out. We'd take all our meals down there. We'd sleep down there. And it was just awesome room. And as I was standing there, I was like, okay, we haven't had a fire in two years. So I went up to one of the bedrooms. It was Ian's room, and it's now been converted over to an office. And I'm thinking, okay, we have an office. And then I walked down to the hallway to his brother's room, and Nathan's room is still set up as a bedroom. And no one slept there in the last six months. And so we just had all of this stuff. And we started thinking, can we do this? Can we give up the things we have in order to contribute more? And so we went ahead with it, and we had a 2,000-square-foot home, and we sold that, and we bought a 1,300-square-foot condominium. And along the way, that meant those rooms I just described, we had to get rid of that stuff. And we gave away most of it. We gave away a lot of it. You know, I sold a couple things. I sold the snowblower and the lawn tractor. But a lot of it we just gave away. And in the process of simplifying and downsizing, one of my friends, she told me, she said, John, you just got to pick something up and ask yourself the question, does this bring you joy? 
And if it brings you joy, you keep it. And if it doesn't, you release it. And it was awesome wisdom. And then I noticed that Kelly was picking up my stuff and she was asking herself, does this bring me joy? And so, no, she didn't do that. But along the way, we just started looking at all the things we had. Uh, Maybe you guys got this too. We had five televisions. I don't know who needs five televisions, but we gave three TVs away. And and so getting rid of all of this stuff, we went through this this period. It was liberating and it was freeing to say goodbye to all of these things that we thought we once had to have. They were definitely things we went out and purchased. They were definitely things that we thought we needed to make us happy. Then we thought, well, maybe we just don't need these things anymore because it's not why we're happy. And so the big question I had in all of this is once we finally moved, would we still be happy? And I got to tell you, we weren't. We were happier than we ever had been before. It's like David saying, you know, as you wean yourself, as you simplify. That's why it's Jesus who said, Jesus said, unless you change and become a little like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about having a faith that's childlike in simplicity. And the children would come to Jesus just to be near him, like the weaned child that now comes just to be near his mother. And that's what I think Jesus was talking about when he says, unless you become like a little child. It's a faith that's childlike in simplicity. And we can learn from our kids. They can teach us what it means to have a simple and uncomplicated trust in God. At the end of the bloody battle in the Civil War, someone found the following prayer. It was folded in the pocket of a dead Confederate soldier. It's called the Blessings of Unanswered Prayers. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty, that I might be wise. I asked for power, that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness, that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things, that I might enjoy life. I was given life, that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. I am, among men, most richly blessed. And we grow and we become better followers of Jesus when we can say, I got nothing I asked for, but I got everything that I hoped for. That's what simplicity is all about. So here's one more thing that we're going to add to humility and and simplicity, and it's the principle of integrity. David wrote in verse 3, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. This word hope in Hebrew, it means to wait. It first means to wait, and then it means to wait expectantly. The concept is like our English word confidence, and we can say it like this. We can say to wait on something because you know the thing you're waiting for will happen because the person you're waiting for is trustworthy. David's telling us, he's saying, you have a choice to make. Either you can choose to live like everybody else or you can choose to wait on the Lord. And once the child is weaned, he comes to rest on his mother's lap, not because 
He wants something, but because he wants to be near his mother. In the same way, God weans us from our dependence on the things of this world so that we won't be bribed into trusting him. What, what good is it if we trust God because we have a good job or we have a good home or because we have a good marriage or because we have our health? What happens then if you lose your job, if you lose your hope, if you lose your home, if you lose your spouse, if you lose your family, if you lose your health? What happens when life breaks apart? That's what integrity is all about. It's choosing to put your confidence in God alone. It's believing that the answers to the questions that we can barely begin to understand, it's believing that God has those answers. It's coming to a place where you don't measure your your spirituality by your possessions. It's finding rest in your soul because you discover the things that you used to crave, the things you used to care about, and the things that you used to desire so much, they just aren't important anymore. I ran across a copy of a letter. It's written by a woman after the death of her husband, and she's had two cancer surgeries since then. The letter's written to Jesus, and I'd like to read it to you. She writes, Dear Jesus, I've written a lot of thank you lately, but this is my first one to you. Until now, I didn't appreciate your gift to me these past several months. Thank you for taking Don home to be with you. Now I'll never be concerned with what the future holds for him. His days are guaranteed. Thank you for giving him such a wonderful Christmas. Thank you for making his birthday last Sunday his best ever. Thank you for putting me in the hospital three weeks after he died and showing me the way that you could use his death in my life. I wasn't always sure how to approach everyone, others with the gospel, but now you've given me so many openings, I can hardly handle them all. Thank you for my most recent surgery and for the lessons it taught me, especially for showing me how much I need you. Thanks for letting me see what it's like to face surgery and suffering without you as I watched and looked into the faces of my roommates. Thank you for the lessons Becky and Lori, her daughters, have learned from this. I could never have taught them the way you did, but that's because you're the great teacher. You know, Jesus, I wouldn't have planned my life this way. In fact, I would have planned it just the opposite. I would have sought to avoid death's knock. I would have ducked out on the surgeries and tried to pretend that Christians were kept well by you all the time. But I would have missed out on so much. The kids are sorry they couldn't be with their dad on Father's Day, but we were glad that he could be both with his earthly and heavenly father this year. Oh, I could go on with this letter, but I could never cover everything that I have to thank you for. So I'll send more later, but for now, please accept this as a beginning. Gratefully yours, Lois. And so when we read, when we read something like that, we realize what it means to put our confidence in God alone. See, there's a lot to think about in, in these three verses, and now, why, now you know why Spurgeon called it one of the shortest to read and one of the longest to learn. It's humility, it's simplicity, it's integrity. We need those three qualities every day of the year, but especially during this Thanksgiving season. It's traditional during Thanksgiving messages to ask people, to make a list of their blessings. And I'm going to ask you to make a list of your blessings this week, but not in the sense of the traditional ones. Because when we make 
a list of our blessings. We make a list of the things that we're thankful for, and we normally end and begin, and in the middle, it's all about our material blessings. And that's good, and we should do that, but it doesn't exhaust the topic. And, and so in light of Psalm 131, what I want you to do sometime this week, before you come back next week, when you walked in, you were given this card this evening, and on the front it says, A Pilgrim's Prayer, Thanksgiving 2017. On the back is Psalm 131, and there's some spaces to write. And so what I want you to do this week, before you come back, make a personal, make it a private list of things that you've been weaned from in this past year. That is, I'm saying to make a list of some of, some of the things which through suffering and hardship, God has taken these things away from you in the last 12 months. And as a result of that, your faith is stronger and deeper, and now your relationship with God is closer than it ever was before. I, I want you to list those things that you thought at one time that you absolutely could not live without, and, and, but now that you know you can. It could be a dream that you had for your life, and it consumed all of your energy, and God has taken that from you, and, and now you have found out that, yes, I can live without that. It, it might have been a relationship. It might have been an idea. It might have been something you owned. It could have been a promotion. It could have been a new job that you had to have. It might be a person that you built your life around, and now that person's gone. And, and so no matter what it is, whatever it was for you, just it was something that was difficult to let go, but you did. And now you're stronger for it. And it might be a goal that you had and you worked on it for a long time. You strive for it. You live for it. You work for it. And then when you got there, you found out it wasn't as important as you thought it was. And on your list, you're going to have a bunch of good things. The things on your list, they're not necessarily going to be bad, but it's anything that's happened in your life last year which you can now say, God has shown me that I don't have to have this in order to be happy. Be thankful for the things that you no longer have to have. There's this old hymn, it's called Count Your Blessings. Here's one of the lyrics. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And the surprise is not in just the material blessings of the last year. It's also in the times of pain and, and suffering, which we seem to go through. And at the time, we didn't understand. It didn't seem to be we were going through whatever it was for any good purpose. But in hindsight, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because that, too, is from the goodness and the grace of God. And, and I honestly believe that we should be the most thankful people on the face of the earth and so it's my hope that our days will be li lived with humility, simplicity, and, and integrity. Let's be thankful not only for the things that we have, but let's be thankful for the things that we no longer have to have. And, and as people of God, as David said in verse 3, the final thing he said is, let us hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. And in a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to show our thankfulness and our gratitude. We're gonna take communion as a church. And if communion's new for you, when the trays go by, you can just let those pass. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you at this time to take communion with us because in communion, we can express our gratitude. We can express our gratefulness. We can express our thankfulness because God sent Jesus so that we could have an eternal relationship with him and with his son and Jesus told us what to do. He, at the Last Supper, he said, 
take this cup, drink it in remembrance of me. He told us to take the bread and to break that bread and to eat it in remembrance of him. And this is an idea for us, a time for us to just think about and focus on what we're grateful for. It can be things that we thought we had to have, but we've learned that we no longer do. We can count our blessings in so many different ways, but let's use this time to reflect on all that we have and let's focus on living with humility, simplicity, and integrity. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to take part in a season that's called Thanksgiving, which allows us to give thanks to you for all that you've done for us, for all that we can think of and everything that we can't even think of. God, you know what's in best for us, and God, you know that the times that you think is take us through pain and suffering, many times you're teaching us that we can live without those things and we can be happier and draw closer to you without those things. God, I pray that you would take away distractions in our lives and you would just give us the ability to live for you and to focus on you. Thank you so much, Lord, for sending Jesus so that we could have eternity with him. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.